The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. On the line now we have former Western Victoria MP Simon Ramsey. Good morning. Yeah, good morning Mitchell and good morning to your listeners on a very wild and woolly aftermath of a a very uh, cold weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't know what's what's going on at the moment, but um, I woke up this morning and I thought, gee, it's cold. Is there something wrong with me? But then I checked the temperature and it was still in the single digits. So I thought, yeah, that's probably accurate. But then yesterday we had a little bit of hail, lots of rain and a bit of sun. I mean, we had literally all four seasons in one day. I mean, the weather lately, I don't know what's going on. No, I mean, I've been down at Port Ferry and it's been similar, but I see... They've had snow at Mount Buller and we're only a few days away from the start of summer. So it is a very odd season we're having this spring. And having said that, though, of course, uh, regional Victoria looks fantastic, doesn't it, with the um, the crops, uh, a heap of grass, a lot of hay to be cut. And um, if it's going to be a long, dry summer, which doesn't look like it's going to be, but uh, obviously there's going to be some significant challenges um, in doing some reduction fuel work. Yeah, very, very lush, and I haven't been down to the West Bowen Dam recently, but I'm assuming that it is still overflowing because it was last time I went there and we've had a lot of rain since then. Yeah, most of our uh, city storages seem to be around the 80 to 90%, and I see they're still pumping water out of the desal plant at Wontaggy, so that water must be going somewhere, uh, and no doubt we're using more than we're actually getting um, in catchment. So... Um, but, you know, I think what, a, what will be a great start to the summer, having, uh, you know, our water storage is nearly full. And as I said, uh, lots of grass, crops look great, stock look great, prices look great. Uh, it's not often the stars align for our farmers across uh, regional Victoria, but certainly this year they are. It uh, makes you think about the dams and reservoirs, and we've had Bowen and Water on this program before years ago, and they said that uh, the economics, they say, don't stack up when you build a new reservoir, and uh, they are also saying, and uh, putting all these disclaimers on their social media, that yes, we're having a lot of rain now, but um, the overall trend is that since about 1997, things are getting drier, but it uh, is a little bit sad to see all that water rushing out of the reservoirs and dams, and even the desal plant that you mentioned going to waste and you think maybe in a few years we might be in drought and we might have needed to keep that water. Well, I'm glad we didn't have those theorists uh, prior to the building of the Thompson Dam. Uh, I know there's been a lot of talk about uh, wanting to put a a reservoir dam down the Mitchell to support um, water security down in East Gippsland and that's still um, being argued. But yes, you're right. We do have a lot of wastage of water in the Otways. a lot of it goes out to see where we uh, could be able to capture that. I mean, I'm still uh, strongly supportive of having uh, water catchments, dams in the right places that uh, don't have a significant environmental impact. I still see use uh, for that water conservation in those reservoirs. But, um, you know, we have the north-south pipeline that was put in to drag water from the Goulburn when Melbourne was going through a significant drought. And, of course, that's laid idle ever since um, that was built. I think it was about a $400 million project to uh, share water between Melbourne users and upgrade irrigation areas around the Goulburn. Uh, and we have that significant uh, desalination plant, one thingy, which I think is only running at about 20% capacity. Mm. Uh, so there's a lot of money invested in infrastructure, uh, particularly drought uh, preventive measures in infrastructure that really haven't been utilised since they were built. 
And I would have thought if you're talking about reservoirs, you've got to build reservoirs commensurate with the population, and the population increase has been quite substantial since that Thompson Dam was built. That's true. And um, as I said, I think Barham Water or one of the water authorities the other day noted that we're using more water than we're conserving. So obviously there's got to be um, additional uh, capacity, whether it's through desalination plants or or other means. The recycling water, I think, um, you know, down at Black Rock, there's quite a lot of infrastructure investment, both by the federal and state governments, to use some of that um, that water, that potable water. So I think there's uh, ongoing work uh, to look at ways that we can capture water, because you're right, expanding population, we're going to use more water, despite the, the efforts of, of governments in the past to have us uh, reduce our usage of water um, with increases in population that have been forecast. We're going to need uh, greater water security and greater reserves of water and um, better use of recycled water. Now, pre-selections in the Liberal Party, it's a fascinating look at what's going on. This is both state and federal because I believe the nominations for Liberal-held seats closed uh, last Friday and reading in the media the reports of who's nominated, you can see uh, David Davis is apparently making a tilt for Q. There's apparently a challenge to Michael O'Brien and a whole host of other people uh, running. So quite a few pre-selection contests ahead. Of course, we're also very interested on this program with what's happening closer to home, whether it's... um, South Barwon, Ballerine, those sort of seats? Well, there's a lot going on. And you, last time we spoke, of course, we spoke about um, uh, the, the matter around Tim Smith and whether he'd actually um, resigned given the leader requested him to do so. And, of course, it took Tim nearly a week to make that decision. And we had the federal MPs sort of getting involved and uh, what I thought was undermining, actually, the state leader. Um, but thankfully, they put a stop to that. Um, so uh, there has been some candidates um, putting their hands up for Q, and I thought Jess Wilson, who um, uh, who I know quite well actually, would be a very good candidate, uh, and I think there was a couple of others. But uh, interesting to see David Davis, who has been around a long, long time. I think he's you know had oversight over a number of leadership positions, over a number of failed election campaigns. So I'm sort of surprised that. David will want to move out of a very comfortable number one spot on the southern uh, East Metro ticket to take a chance at a lower house. I think he's about 60 years old um, and, as I said, been around a long, long time, bit of a political animal. Um, He would want to risk that. But obviously he has leadership uh, ambitions. I would think if Matthew Guy is unsuccessful next year, I wouldn't be surprised if David was successful in getting a seat of Q. He would uh, put his hand up for for leader of the parliamentary team. So that one's to watch. And as you said, um, there's a number of sitting MPs that may well find that they're going to be challenged uh, in their Liberal health seats. And I think Neil Angus was mooted. Bernie Finn will definitely be challenged uh, in Western Metro. Um, and, you know, they've got Tim Wells and, and Gary um, Blackwood and a few others have been around a long time. I suspect will, again, come under some sort of challenge. But... Uh, locally, yes, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw Andrew Kados take an interest in South Bowen again. There's a couple of Geelong City councillors that have indicated they're keen to cut their teeth now. A well, couple, not just a one. Couple, couple mm. uh, may well have uh, political ambitions, whether it's state or federal. We already know the um, the current mayor has um, put her hand up for Greenhamite, obviously, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if you saw uh, a couple of sitting council, one sitting councillor, maybe two. Um, look at potential seats in the region. And also we've got the Senate pre-selections next Saturday. Sarah Henderson, um, as you know, occupies one one of those three 
positions that have become vacant and um, uh, there's a number of others that have been put on the public record to suggest they would uh, be showing some interest in I think there's two positions actually we have with Scott, uh, Scott Ryan's resignation from uh, President of the Senate uh, to fill that position and um, no doubt Sarah's position will be contested as well. Mm, well, it's going to be a very interesting couple of weeks then, isn't it? Because pre-selection battles can get quite nasty at times, but hopefully everyone comes out the other side and is united. And in state politics, you would think that if uh, the party wanted to be quite competitive in the election ahead, that maybe there's got to be a little bit of talent renewal, as you sort of described there. Yeah, I think so. And um, there's no doubt uh, there's different factions in all parties. I mean, at least we have a democratic process, Mitchell, where... Um, our uh, party members can have the democratic right to choose their elected representatives through conventions, whereas, as we know, in the Labor Party, they tend to come from a faction, mainly from a union um, a union faction, and just sort of parachuted into the seat. So our, our candidates have to work a bit harder that through the democratic process we have in the Liberal Party. And I think that's healthy. I, like you say, I think it's time. A lot of those uh, state, sitting state MPs, on our side of politics, been there for a long time, and it's probably time that you know it's not supposed to be a career. It's supposed to be um, making a contribution to public life, doing your bit, and then getting out and let someone else have a crack. Um, mm. but, you know, you see some of these uh, MPs have been sitting around for twenty, twenty-five years through you know, a number of election losses and you sort of wonder, well, perhaps it's time to do something else. And in terms of the state political landscape, you would think if the government or the Liberal Party, um, for, of course, the federal government, the state opposition, if they want to have a striking chance at winning the election in 2022, you'd think a seat like South Barwon would have to be in play. I'm not so much sure about Bellarim because that's been held by Labor for a long time and I think now has quite a healthy margin. But South Barwon definitely would have to be a seat that uh, you would uh, have your eye on to try and win? Absolutely. I mean, to be honest and um, not being derogatory, but Darren Cheeseman really hasn't had a high profile in that seat and um, I think I might have mentioned it before in this program, I haven't seen him being overly active on the ground. I know he works the phones very well and gets the CFMEU to do some of the hard grunts in respect to phone polling and things, but generally speaking, I thought Darren would be a weak link in that Geelong um, contrary of, you know, Labor MPs uh, to have a crack at. And, well, Andrew Kodos knows the area very well. I know that the redistribution has changed the dynamics a bit, sort of taken Torquay out, plonked in a pole worth, but, you know, with the extension of Armstrong Creek boundaries and the growth around that area, um, I wouldn't have thought that seat would have shifted to Labor too much in the redistribution, perhaps a 0.01 or 2%. Yeah, but it's fundamentally the same, I think. Yeah, so I would have thought um, if Andrew Kodos feels obliged to run again that he'd have a fair crack at winning that seat again. He's a hard worker and a good campaigner, um, but I'm not uh, showing any favouritism. I'm sure there may well be other um, Liberal Party candidates that wish to also put their hand up for nomination for pre-selection for that seat. And I assume we haven't had many words yet about, for example, the state seat of Geelong, uh, federal seat of Corio, these sorts of contests. No, well, again, I'm not party to um, what the local branches are, are doing in those seats, but, um, you know, cry is always very difficult for us. It seems extraordinary that the voters in those seats, the federal electorate seats and state seats of Geelong and uh, Lara and um, Cryo continually vote in 
uh, Labor MPs, but at the same time be critical of the lack of sort of investment in those areas. So, uh, of course, the only way to change that is to make them more marginal or, in fact, put in, uh, you know, a different political um, candidate to see if they can shake the tree a bit more than what the current MPs are doing. Now, the pandemic laws which have passed the lower house and are coming before the upper house, I think that's happening this week. The Premier only needs to get three crossbench MPs on site to pass that legislation and given the murmurings that we've heard from Andy Medic, from Samantha Ratnam and from Fiona Patton, you would think that they would go in and vote in favour of that legislation. So absolutely no issue with it passing both houses of parliament. But we did see the protests over the weekend and John Aaron spoke about that and uh, labelled some of the very concerning behaviour. This is why I don't go to protests on uh, any issue because it's very easy for something to start off with uh, saying, oh, we think we might need a few more checks and balances in this legislation. And then, of course, all these other groups infiltrate it and cause trouble. And then you, as the person that attended that protest, get labelled all sorts of things. Um, but, um, you know, interesting times. But I've got a feeling that this will get through both houses of parliament and uh, it'll all be over and we'll just move on. Well, it may well, but I do hope um, that it will be tweaked. And um, to be honest, I've found, or at least uh, Fiona Patton, to be quite sensible about um, uh, certainly her responsibility in supporting the government or not on some of these more contentious bills. I mean, the bill itself, the principle, I think everyone agreed, uh, had merit, and that was removing responsibility of declarations of uh, pandemics from bureaucrats to those elected politicians and that's what happens in New South Wales and New Zealand and other other countries but um, of course uh, typically the over the Andrews government's overreached on uh, its um, its power structure and also the fines attached to it and the manner in which they can declare so I'm hoping and it'll be pretty grueling this this week I think Mitchell I'm sort of familiar with some of these contentious debates and it'll go into long hours. I remember talking to you at the time when I think you'd been, well, you were up, I remember tuning in live and you were the chair or the president or whatever it was, the Legislative Council, and it was seven o'clock in the morning and you were in the chair at the time. I think that was the voluntary assisted dying. Yeah, that certainly was one bill and, and um, we uh, we had the uh, methamphetamine uh drug use bill, um, tweaking some of that as well. Yeah, they can go very late into the night, but unfortunately, as, as Parliament often does, it does allow a lot of grandstanding and a lot of filibusting and a lot of mucking around um, within the chamber to um, try and, um, you know, create some um, instability of, uh, say, the government's push to get the bill uh, ticked off. Um, but my hope is that, that it, well, I haven't seen the amendments uh, by the opposition. I certainly haven't noted any amendments that maybe Andy Medic or Fiona Patton are suggesting or the Greens with Samantha Ratton as their, their lead speaker. But um, I would have thought it will be tweaked a bit. It won't satisfy the opposition. Uh, and the government will probably be relieved by the end of the week that they've got it through within the time frame. I think it had to be done, you know, pre-late December. So... Um, I just hope the powers and the penalties and um, the, um, the you know, ability to make declarations, whether a pandemic's within Victoria or outside, which are all noted by the Law Council of Australia, I might note as being um, particularly abhorrent, are taken on by our backbench, our, our, you know, um, crossbenchers, given that they most likely will have the final say in how that bill is shaped up by the end of the week. 
Do you remember similar protests like we saw yesterday? I believe they've camped out some of them at state parliament and might even still be there now as we're speaking. But do you remember that sort of similar energy around some of the other more contentious bills that you've just talked about when you were in state parliament, whether it was the voluntary assisted dying or the other one? There was, yes, there was, a, well, there was a, almost a weekly protest, particularly when, when Parliament's sitting, because that's obviously the best time to get um, uh, the sort of uh, the year in the eye of the politicians, but also the media. Um, but the trouble nowadays, Mitchell, um, and I think I remember going back, I think you mentioned about the Trump um, protesters, is that the messages are so mixed that you get tagged with a lot. Um, and I think you mentioned that, but in the old days, certainly when back in my day when I was president of the VFF, we had a, a very strong focus on single message. So everyone knew what we were standing outside Parliament about, whether it was the North South Pipeline or animal welfare issues or whatever it was, was very clear, one single message. Um, but the trouble now is you've got basically all the nutters coming out of the woodwork and joining these protests with a whole array of different messages on their banners. Mm. And even the media have difficulty picking up um, the sort of single message. It was just about the pandemic or the concern about the dictatorship of the Andrews government having all these significant powers uh, basically um, to run our lives. Um, and it's very clear, but now it's, you know, the anti-vaxxers, it's, uh, you know, let's make Australia great again using the old Trump slogan. Well, yeah, I mean, it was John Aaron that mentioned Trump. I haven't seen any Trump signs, but I'm assuming he's accurate. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what Trump's got to do with Victorian state politics. I think he's got a few bigger issues on his mind. Yeah, I'm sure he has. And I, I know that he didn't really say much about the pandemic laws or, um, you know, what his expectation was coming out of the upper house this, this week is... Um, and also, uh, I note he, uh, why he did, he said right at the start of your question about, uh, Adam Somirek and the IBAC inquiry was that he didn't wish to discuss it. They went into a little bit of detail about what he thought of Adam Somirek. So, um, there's no love lost between that faction, uh, and Adam Somirek's no. faction. And in fact, I was in the pile one day when, um, Adam Somerick challenged uh, John Aaron with a, a fork over the dining table. So uh, I thought the Turkish uh, connections uh, between those two factions were actually going to be had, uh, sort of a war over the dining room table during dinner. But anyway, thankfully someone intervened. I can't think who it was. Uh, was that the incident uh, that made the front... Well, I think it was on the Herald Sun yeah, front page, yeah, wasn't it? it was bizarre. It was quite bizarre. But um, really, you know, we're supposed to be mature um, aged men uh, and here we are in the parliamentary dining room fighting over whatever it was, the different faction issues in the Labor Party with um, quite a menacing, you know, set of colouring. Isn't there a reason why in Parliament the uh, width of the dispatch boxes is two sword lengths apart? <laughs> that may, well, I actually haven't thought about that, but I noticed they've got the glass partitions in uh, in the federal parliament now, which is probably a good reason, given it seems to be heating up now, given uh, basically the Prime Minister has launched the election campaign. I see he was all over Victoria uh, flogging these uh, new electric cars, mm. which you might have a bar of two years ago. And I noticed our, our senator, local senator, nearly every camera shot during that um week-long election uh, campaign in Victoria. So, obviously, things are heating up uh, federally in respect to um, the campaign. And I guess with the polls, it looks like the Liberal Party's lagging um, considerably, and Glasgow didn't help, um, uh, that there's uh, a, a need to sort of ramp up, um, you know, some uh, 
some polling work or election work in the, in the marginal seats, which I think Morrison targeted over the last week. Well, just on that marginal seats, I mean, he got his hair cut, I think, in the seat of Higgins, which I didn't know was a, a marginal seat and was walking up and down um, Turak Road. I mean, does that suggest that maybe those are the sorts of areas that they're trying to sandbag or is it just really too far out from an election campaign to really be looking at the locations that they're strategically choosing to visit? Well, I think they are quite concerned about some of those seats. Um, Katie Allen's seat particularly in Higgins, I think they're worried about Josh Frydenberg's seat. It's um, not going to be a gimme. And, um, you know, Deakin has always been marginal. It's always sat beside Corangamite as the most marginal seat. But I think that improved over the last election. Um, but Greg Hunt's seat down there, there's these uh, groups, these voices of, which was sort of a a parallel of what happened to Sophie Mirabella with uh, Kathy McGowan knocking her off, uh, thanks to the voices of Indi. Now, these voice groups are becoming very strong uh, and very proactive in these marginal seats. So, you know... Or safe seats, seat. really. Well, yeah, well, you'd think, uh, like, Minister for Health, just taking us through a pandemic, his seat be pretty well assured, but I'm hearing that, you know, the voice, the independent voices down there are really starting to ramp up and... Uh, threaten and challenge um, uh, Greg Hunt's, uh, you know, his um, margin down there, and the same could be said for a number of those southeastern seats around Melbourne. So even the independent, you know, obviously Tom sees him, Tom Rowe, uh, independent for Karangamite as um, being able to create a bit of a wedge uh, in uh, Libby Coker's margin, and my hope that is uh, the um, Liberal Party Candidate is having some discussion with her leadership about where Tom's uh, preferences might flow in respect to the outcome of that election. Well, he pretty much said on this program a, f- a few months ago, he said he wouldn't be preferencing Libby Coker um, and used quite a disparaging comment about her policy positions. So I think they don't have to worry too much about that. No, but in the state, I know, you know we had quite a few independents around the Geelong seat. Um, that sort of uh, swung all over the place. I mean, Darren Lyons actually got quite a good primary vote. Um, and, um, it, you know, uh, I think there was a number of there was the Greens. I'm trying to remember now, but uh, there was an independent down to Torquay actually polled really well. Damien uh, Cole. Yeah, it was a Damien, I think, a surfer, was he? Yep, um, yep. Anyway, yeah, so he, I, I liked his style, actually. I saw him, um, I think, might have been in one of your forums, but... I thought he spoke well and he uh, tuned in to the issues that are important down the surf coast and got quite a few votes. So those sort of independents are well worth, you know, having some discussions with in respect to shoring up some preference deals early because um, you leave it too late, you miss the boat, you know, the job's already done. Just on the electric cars, uh, we spoke to the motoring guy on our program, Toby Hagen, about this in the first hour. He wasn't too complimentary about the government's electric car policy because he thought it was a bit inconsistent with what they took to 2019, as you've sort of said. Um, but also he commented that it's $250 million for electric car charges, but he compares that to the diesel car rebate, which I think is for um, people paying excise but who don't actually use the roads like primary producers. But he says that's $7.8 billion annually, but they're only putting 250 million dollars into electric cars well it's on a comparison that's probably right i mean the diesel fuel excise rebate is um well certainly from a farming point of view and on on the trucking companies um is is very valuable to either the profit or loss of the business 
And the government has a number of times reviewed that to see if uh, they either reduce it or get rid of it. But there's been very strong pushback from uh, the regional areas. But um, that is true. I don't. I didn't see or hear a lot of funding in either reducing the cost of the price of electric car in that federal government policy announcement or reducing the cost of fuel. In fact, fuel's gone up as far as I can see. Um, I'm talking about um, uh, conventional fuel prices gone up and uh, charging stations. I'm not sure where they're to go. My understanding is there's a reluctance of petrol stations to have charging stations. Um, they want a more convenient uh, placement. Um, I understand that batteries are quite large in these electric cars that consume a lot of space. I think Scott Morrison is right. I'm not hearing that you can actually tow anything with a electric car, but maybe you can in the future. But yeah, it's the whole um, the whole backflip thing. I just I I can't uh, sort of take Mitchell. I have to say in respect to Scott Morrison's position now on electric cars as it was two or three years ago. I just just all sounds phony to me. You know, the whole climate change policy that we went to Glasgow with, sort of on the back of some secret deal with the Nats. Uh, refusing to, you know, update or upgrade the 2030 um, emission targets re- reductions and um, I guess at least we committed to a 2050 net zero, but no one quite knows what that involves and where those investments will be made to get to that stage. But anyway, I guess it's a wait and see. Well, thank you very much for being on the program. Really good to catch up as always and we'll talk to you uh, in two weeks' time. Yeah, thanks, Mitchell. Thank you very much, Simon Ramsey, their former MP for Western Victoria. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.